Um, thanks for uh, inviting me to this. I'm not going to lie, I've never been more apprehensive about giving uh, talks anywhere. Um, before we begin, I am Canadian, and so <laughs> if you hear some language that you're not used to, get used to it because it's more correct than how you speak. Um, um, I was actually very, very apprehensive about this because A, um, prayer is not a, an easy topic to talk about. Um, <laughs> Concerning, um, because um, the Desert Fathers have always said, especially Evagrius, if you want to learn to pray, you simply need to pray. Um, so to talk about prayer is actually very difficult. Um, I'm also a novice in prayer, um, and so I was stressing out, I think I must have redone the talks at least like half a dozen times, and then I was like, okay, I'll do it while I'm on retreat in Egypt. And then I sat with Winner Lazarus, and he like completely restructured it for me. And then I came back, and I'm like, no, that's not going to work. Um, and then I started reading another book, and then reading the book ended up made me read like three or four books, and then I was like, okay, redo that. And then in the car I had another version, and then I forgot everything by the time I got home. <laughs> so it was, it was difficult. Um, I'm also not used to speaking in a lecture style. I'm much more used to speaking in a discussion style, and so a lot of this stuff is hard to do as a discussion. Um, and so I try to be interactive. I don't know how possible it's going to be, so if I bore you, I'm sorry. Um, but you can always uh, interject and raise your hands if there's something that's um, not coming out well um, or that you'd rather have clarified. And I don't mind taking a tangent where um, necessary. Um, so without further ado, um, I don't know what I just did. Okay. Um, for those of you who have attended any of my talks, they all start the exact same. So I'm, I'm sorry to those who have already seen or gone through this exercise, but it's because spiritual life can only be understood if we understand the point of our existence. If you don't know why you're alive, then you don't know how to talk about spiritual life. Um, so, in the beginning was what? The word. Everyone goes straight to John. Okay, was the word by himself. The word is with God, God who, when they say God, who are they referring to? God the Father, and who were they also with? Right, so the beginning was the Trinity, right? So the beginning is God, okay? So, what was God doing? Just chilling, okay? Um, so did God need, what, what did God do? Over the depths, right? And then he did what? Created. Ah, he created. Why? Very good. Out of love. Um, because, why is it doing straight lines? Um, I don't want that. There are people who say it's because God needed people to serve him. There are people who say that God needed people to love him. There are people who say that God was short on uh, praise and he wanted people to worship. But all of these would mean that there's a problem with your God. Because if your God has an ego problem, then we all have ego problems. Like if, he's, if he needs to create something just for its existence to praise him, okay, then there's something lacking in this God. Um, and if it's because he just needs a bunch of people to serve him, then it means that he, he's lacking something, that he requires something else. And so it had to be this keyword of, there's the straight lines again, um, of love. Um, and this is pivotal, because that's why in Orthodox theology, or in Christian theology in general, um, everything has to be based on love. We have a positive theology. Um, and um, if we don't understand this, then we won't understand anything in the liturgical or, or spiritual life. So God made man out of love. And this is why we talk about, um, as Christians, that love is always outwardly directed, right? Anything that is love has to be given in t to something else. That's why we talk about love as being self-denial, right? We don't talk about somebody gratifying the self or we consider them selfish. Um, and that's why the 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 physical act that we associate with love results in new life. 
um, because it's always directed outwardly. There's always an act of creation because this is what God Himself did, is He created. So God created us for love. Um, so He puts man on this earth that He's made. Um, and what does man consist of? The three arrows helped. Usually we have to fish around for this one. Okay. I can't write well with this thing, so I'm sorry, guys. All right. What's the body? Okay. What's, what do we do with our bodies? We live. And what do we need to do to live? We need to breathe. We need all this stuff. So what do we do, with, what do, we do in order to continue to live as human beings? We consume. We do a lot of that in America. Um, what do we need to do to live well with this body in a very sensual, physical way? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that kind of sensual. I meant, <laughs> I meant the, five, the five senses. <laughs> what I'm getting at is health. Um, <laughs> just so we don't go the wrong way. Okay? So we need to take care of our bodies if we want to live well, right? So, um, and we're going to go somewhere with this, because whenever I ask people what spiritual life is, and I'm not going to do it because I don't want the lecture to go too long, because it has the potential to do that, um, we say a lot of fluff concepts that are irritating. Um, so, the body, in order to, to live well, we need to have care for our health, right? So, if I were to take my pen and just randomly decide to jab it into my, my, my arm, what will be the consequence of such an action? I will bleed. What else will happen? I've got mine. Could get infected, right? What happens if it gets infected? Possibly. Okay. What else could happen? Right? I'm used to dealing with high school, so this is like a level over talking about septic. And um, this is good. Um, if I don't, it's possible that it's going to scar, right? Um, it's also possible that I might amputate. All of these things are correct. I'm not looking for a specific answer. All of these are possibilities. So if I leave it, there's an issue. What happens if I always just stuff my face with like food, like well beyond what I actually need? Sorry? We get fat. What happens when you get fat? I'll use obese. Let's be, let's be sensitive. So, uh, sorry? Heart attack. Okay. Exactly. You get disease, right? And eventually you could die from any of these. What if I eat too little? Right. Okay, so we have this concept of health that's, that we're well ingrained with. What is the soul? Good. Elaborate. So it's what we share in common with the living things that are human. Trees, I would debate. I guess they're alive in a sense. Yes, okay, so like animals. Okay, so the soul is like the physical life of a thing, right? So, for example, human beings and animals, we're just a bunch of elements. Everything that we have in us is found in the earth as a raw element. There's nothing unique about us. But you can't take a random bunch of twigs and elements and shove them on the table and just say, be, and expect it to respond to you, okay? Because you can't do that. Um, sorry. But, um, but somehow, we are just elements and we are alive. And that's what the soul is. So we associate it with the circulatory system mostly because um, God in the Old Testament commanded not to eat an animal with the blood thereof because he called it the life. He said, thou shalt not eat from the blood, from the life which is the blood thereof. Um, and so that is the soul. Um, the spirit, what is the spirit? Perfect. Okay. The spirit is the breath of life into us that is, is his own image and likeness. This is a real thing. We're not talking about um, this fluff concept of just like when someone says what spiritual life and just like, yeah, I talk to God. Um, I read my Bible. I'm really nice. Um, and that kind of stuff. Those are good things. They're aspects of spiritual life, but they are not spiritual life. But we are created in the image and likeness of God. 
um, which means that he imparted into us his own characteristics. He made us exactly like himself. So we have a concept of justice because he is justice. We have the ability to love because he is love. We have the ability to have compassion on others because he is compassion. He is the absolute of the quality and we are the relative of that quality. So we were meant to be exactly like him. And so if you're going to sum up God, very simply, he is perfect and he is holy. Okay, so anything that is good, anything that is right, anything that is complete is God. And we were made to be exactly like that. We were not created with the intention of sin. But this spirit right here is the part of us that communicates with him. Because God says about himself, who is paying attention on Sunday, what did Christ say to the Samaritan woman? When she says, yo, check it, like, why are you telling me I can't pray? Here, your people say it has to be in Jerusalem. Sorry? Right, and then he said what? Right, and then he finished it with... Because, what was his reasoning? But what did he say before the line of those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth? God is spirit. Okay? So, a lot of us struggle at this point in our spiritual lives because we're dealing with God as a physical material. God is above matter. God isn't matter. He made matter. That's why God isn't bound by matter. Right? That's why the first law that everybody thinks they're so ridiculously intelligent when they're like, well, who made God? Well, no, he's above matter. So that law applies to matter. It doesn't apply to the person who made matter. So if there was something that created God that's of some other kind of thing that we don't understand, if we found out about him, then we should worship him. But in the meantime, we, we just know our God. Um, but this spirit is our ability to communicate back and forth with him. This is the part that was meant to be exactly like him. And it's through this means that we are able to communicate. So, what is spiritual life? Very good. That would be the aim of it. And then what is it itself? Close. That's the goal as well. Precisely. Okay. In the same way that we talked about this physical health, you were given something unique that requires having concern and care for. This is going to be a theme that we need to understand because we're going to come back to it throughout the different aspects of, of our discussions. Because... If you understand that the spirit is a real thing, it's not fluff, okay? It's not just that we can go to bed feeling good at night. It's something that's real. Um, then we understand that this actually requires nurturing. You need to feed it. You need to exercise it. You need to have it go out. You need to have it communicate. Um, it needs to be given food and nutrition and exercise in the same way that your body does. And if you do not, you will be very, very sick. Um, and yet you might not realize it because you've been busy dealing with the body only, um, which is what the issue is in contemporary society. We're all secularists. We're all humanists. Um, and so we're obsessed with um, how we look and how we are perceived and how easily we can score um, and not really with the intention of who we were made to be. And we were made to be perfect and holy. And we were meant to have... What with this God? Why did He make us? Fellowship or communion? Sorry? Let's have fellowship or communion with God. Okay, I like communion. What's another word for this whole thing? Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Um, it's not what I was looking for. But what is, if there's two beings or entities that are dealing with one another, what are they doing? Relationship. Okay? This is key. Because... We are not deists, okay? Do you guys know what a deist is versus a theist? Okay? A deist is somebody who believes that a God exists, but he doesn't really care much for humanity. He's outside of it. He just, he's just there. And I'm in my, my playground. Okay? Whereas a theist is somebody who not only believes in the existence of God, 
but who also believes that God cares very much about the matters and affairs of humanity um, and is himself involved in it. We are theists, okay? So this is all very important because the whole crux of this thing is this whole concept of relationship. Um, and this is where we need to start understanding what went wrong if we're going to be able to discuss how to pray. Because in the beginning, man did just talk to God. There was no barrier. He walked around, God was there, um, and they had this. And human relationships were obviously not a wrong thing, because if it was sufficient enough to just be as himself, then God would not have created Eve. I'm not taking shots at the ladies. But he still said to him, it is better that man have somebody. So there was nothing wrong with relationships. So because we're going to talk about the, 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 fi- the f- fin- what would be the right word for this? Um, finiteness of human relations versus the infinite relationship with, with God. Um, so man had dialogue and was able to walk around in the garden and chill with God at his own leisure. So what happened? Man ate the apple and sin and had to leave the garden. Why? Because he sinned against God. God said, eat of any tree that you want except for this one tree over here. Mm-hmm. And why do you say that? Um, because he wanted to see if man would choose to follow him or not. And the only way to test free will is to give someone a test that gives them a choice. Either obey me or don't obey me. Hmm. Why did he want to test free will? And why bother with the test if he knew they were going to fail? Why test free will? Good. How does it test love? Because it is no longer forced. Yeah, if a man can choose to reject God. Okay, good. We're getting much warmer. Um, So it was to see what man wanted to do. But then why were they banned? We need to understand this if we want to understand our, our relationship with God. Because our proper understanding of this will either make you like him a lot or consider him an absolute jerk, um, which is why many people have left, um, is because of not having good answers to some of these things. Um, And it's a fair question, because if he made us and he loves us, then we would hope that what he does reflects that. Because if we were made in his image and likeness, and we believe in compassion and mercy and justice, then it's a big problem if our God does not. Because why would we be more good than our God? So you're absolutely correct about free will, okay? So the concept of the tree in the garden was not um, um, an angry, negative thing. Um, Like you were saying, it was that if we're going to have a relationship, there has to be freedom, okay? If you are in a relationship with somebody... For example, when a parent tells their teenage son, Oh, Habibi, you can do whatever you want. However, if you do this, I will not give you any money. You will not have the keys to the car. I will not pay for your education. And you're going to have to pay rent to me in the house. And, 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 and. And it's like, thank you, Bob, I love you. Um, so that's not, that's not free will. Okay, There has to be a, a freedom to be able to say, I accept this relationship or I do not. So this is represented to us in the tree. Um, Now, the tree itself was not intrinsically evil. Um, In fact, some of the fathers um, tell us that there would come a time when man would have ate from the tree. Um, There was a time for knowledge. In the same way, for example, that you can tell um, a 10-year-old that he can't drive a car. And it's not because driving is sinful. It's because a 10-year-old shouldn't be driving. It's not the right time yet. They need to mature still physically, mentally. They need to learn how to multitask. They need to not just be excited by like the first thing that walks by them. Um, like those are, it's just not the right time. 
And so that's what was true with the trees, that God was not putting it there as, as a big thing. As a matter of fact, um, what St. Isaac the Syrian says of, of Nineveh um, is rather than meditate on why did God put the tree there, taking it in a negative sense, you should meditate on how amazing it is that God put the tree there knowing what it would cost him. Um, because he knew of what our decision was going to be. So man ate from the tree and he was expelled. Why is that? What, what was the big deal about that? Okay, so right now there is, um, sorry, I forgot what you just said. I'm already forgot it. Um, because decisions have consequences. Okay, decisions have consequences. Tom? Because they wanted to be like God. Because they wanted to be like God. And Dan is saying because they, if they had ate from the tree, they would have lived forever. Very good. Okay? Consequence is the key word, and I'm glad you used that word. Because it's different to say that God killed somebody, and it's different to say that somebody died. God did not say, the day you eat of the tree, I will surely kill you. He said, the day you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Why? How? I think you take it back to the 10-year-old example who's driving the car. 10-year-old drives a car, turns to get injured. They are, but I want to understand why are we injured. It's something deeper. Christians talk about it all the time. I don't, I don't think it's actually about eating the, the apple as much as it was about disobeying uh, a commandment. Because Adam chose to separate himself from God, and that's why death happened. Everyone's saying separation, and that's right, but I want to understand why. What is it that is causing the separation? Pride? Sorry? Like pride? No. No. A uh, consequence of free will. Sin. Very good. <laughs> sin. Okay. What is sin? Very good. That's what I was waiting for. <laughs> okay. Sin is and isn't separation from God. Um, I, I'm, I'm weary of using that expression because most Christians today are absolute legalists. Um, when it comes to sin, and if we take an understanding of sin that's just very like like rigid, then we will not understand our God. So sin is missing the mark, imarteia in Greek. Um, so if if perfection, for example, the reason I say missing the mark is the bullseye. Okay, like if you can picture an archer falling anywhere short of the bullseye is falling short. You could fall really short, you can get really, really close. It still wasn't perfection. That's what sin is. We were created to be perfect, holy, in the image and likeness of God. Sin is simply falling short. But I want us to take a look at sin in another way, um, because um, you'll understand better why we have certain barriers to prayer. Sin was the introduction of something foreign into our spirit. Because we were created to be perfect and holy, right? So if my body is functioning perfectly and I took the pen and shoved it into it, we talked about what would happen. And it happened because it was, it was a disruption, it was a distortion of the natural thing that was made. The body wasn't designed to have stuff shoved into it. Um, and if you do it, if you use it in the wrong way, you cause it injury and you cause it harm. And if you continue to do this, you can no longer use the body in the same way. If I keep abusing my body, I might not be able to function properly anymore. The same thing is true of sin. Sin is this foreign object that you have shoved into your body. You've introduced disease, is what we did when we ate from the garden. And that is why death entered into the world. Death entered the world because we now had introduced disease. And that's why God said, well, now you're going to die. Not because I'm killing you. 
you 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 ruined it you broke it okay and so this is why for us in christian and orthodox theology this is not in all christian denominations our concept of salvation is about renewal it is not about a legal issue like there's a lot of protestant songs that we listen to and they're really nice um, where they're like, and the father um, turned away his head because of the wrath um, that was satisfied, and it's a very like, n- like not nice image because I'm like, why doesn't he like him? It's his son, um, and so and I saw a very dramatic, emotional movie about this train driver, and he like he's got his son, and they're chilling, and like they have this really big build up so that you're like crying. Um, and then the son goes running out. The dad like is supposed to pull the switch so that he could save this train from going off. And then the son sees it, so he goes running in and he pulls the lever himself. But when he does it, he's going to die. And then the dad has this choice between saving the train um, and saving his kid. And he saves the train and everyone starts crying. Um, and, and it's all like really emo and stuff. Um, and it's... <laughs> It's a nice video, and it's good to see the compassion of God, but it is wrong. Um, because to me, the question was, and I'm somebody who battled with atheism for a period, I'm like, if he's God, why doesn't he just stop the train and save the kid? Um, like, why does he have to choose between the kid and the train? Why wasn't he even paying attention in the story? Like, it was him putting his head down that made the train go. Um, this is a problem. Um, so... But the thing is, is that we don't understand salvation in this way, okay? Because that's why if you read on the Incarnation, which if you haven't, you must, okay? It is, it is the authority on understanding the, the economy of salvation. Um, is that it wasn't an issue of making a mistake. It wasn't an issue of saying sorry or sorry. Um, <laughs> because if it was an issue of just saying sorry and God saying, okay, Habibi, um, it would be very easy. And God wasn't like, no, I just don't want to say okay. It's because we ruined something, okay? So the, the analogy that I really like, Abu Namtunis Hanin used this in one of his sermons somebody told me about, um, is a green apple, like a, a nice, ripe, great like apple, a Granny Smith from Canada. And so <laughs> if you take that apple and you bruise it or you pierce it, what happens to it? Brown. It will brown. Can you stop it from browning? You can put it in the fridge and slow it down. You can put it in the freezer and slow it down. But it's still going brown and it's going to rot. So this is what we did. Okay? And can holiness and sin dwell together? Is it because holiness is an arrogant, self-righteous jerk? Then why can it not? Two different natures. Okay? And the keyword is nature. Because light and darkness can't mix. Because by nature, light cannot. It's just impossible. It's not what light is. Holiness, which is God, it is impossible for sin to dwell in it. This is why God loathes sin. That is why it's such a dramatic issue. It can't dwell in Him. That's why we say sin is separation from God. But we need to understand it in that sense. Not in the sense of, because I sin, God's like, I don't want to talk to you ever again. It's because I've put something in that takes me away from what I'm meant to be. And that is why we left the garden. And that is why we began to suffer. And that is why we could no longer communicate with God. This is how we lost the ability to pray. We were in His presence. We were able to pray because prayer is being in the presence of God. It is being able to dialogue freely with our God. But that is why we lost it is because we entered something into it and corruption took over. And so what do we see once we leave the garden? Man gets really dumb, right? Within like one chapter or two, we've got like our first fratricide, right? Um, And he's like got no shame. Um, And he's just like, I don't like that God liked your sacrifice more than mine. I'm going to take you out. Um, which is like um, mindless, okay? Um, and we did not see God giving up on him, right? So if God was like, no, right? He didn't. Instead, he is actively outreaching. He's trying to speak um, to man. And that's why he even says to Cain, I, I wasn't going to kill you. 
Like, he, like Cain is the one who's like, I am going to be killed. I am blah, 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 blah. And this is a burden too great to be, to be born. And when they see me, they're going to kill me. And God's like, okay, I actually wasn't going to do that. Um, but if that's all you're worried about, okay, I'll protect you. Here's a mark on you. Anybody who kills you, you get to take out 10 others. Um, instead of one for one, you get 10 for one. There's your deal. Um, but this was still communication. Then we see a very, 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 very important verse in Genesis 5. Um, God says, My spirit will no longer strive with man. My spirit will no longer dwell in man. And this is an important thing to understand because we did have the Holy Spirit. St. Cyril of Alexandria, St. Athanasius the Great, all of them talk about how we did originally have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And we lost it because of the state of sin. And then sin took over so badly, okay, we became our spirit, this part of us that communicates with God, that you see within like almost no time in these chapters that man has completely forgotten God. That's why they stop at Enoch when they're going through these genealogies in Genesis 5 and 6. And they're like, because Enoch was the first man to call on God again. And like, there's been generations. But he's the first one to finally walk with God. That he is striving. But what we need to understand is that prayer used to be a right. It used to be our our privilege um, and our ability that we could do. But now man had to strive. There's now this concept of effort into prayer. And that's why we have to recover that. So you see throughout all of the Old Testament um, this dialogue with God. And that man wasn't able to do it. That's why he had to work through third parties. Right? You had judges, you had prophets, you had kings, and they were all anointed with oil. And why were they anointed with oil? For the receiving of a spirit, okay? or at least the gifts of the spirit, so that they would be able to communicate on behalf um, of humanity with God. But they didn't really know how to pray. And this is resolved in the Incarnation. Okay? And in the Incarnation, man is renewed. God came and he restores his own image and likeness in us again. This is the grace of baptism. The grace of baptism is to have your, your spirits transformed, renewed, recreated. And that's why it's such a big deal. That's why we're all excited when we throw kids in water. Um, it's not because it's, it's cute. It's because something very real happens. And only because we've done that can he receive the Holy Spirit again. Because he's returning to his first estate. And that's why immediately after we dunk him three times, okay, where he dies, okay, because death was the result of sin. Disease brought forth death. So God slew death, okay. We take the baby and we have him die with Christ. And rise with Christ to participate in the recreation. To participate in the renewal of humanity. And then we take that child and we put holy chrism on that oil, on that baby, to say, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he receives the Holy Spirit. So that this child can freely communicate with his God and have the ability to participate in this living dialogue with God. This is why it's such a big deal when we ask the parents to raise their hand and renounce Satan and ask them, are you going to raise this child to know his God? If you are, then raise your hand and say. If you are not, go get godparents and come back. Because somebody is. Otherwise, we're not baptizing them. So we really need to understand these things because this is the reason why things are difficult. But sin is still in the world. And we still do it all the time. And this is why many of us still struggle with prayer. But we're going to discuss that um, in its own lecture. So we need to understand these beginnings so that we can understand why we even have an issue with prayer. But if you understand what you're created to be in the image and likeness and in relationship, how do you have a relationship with somebody that you don't speak to? You're not in a relationship. You're a freeloader. And so we need to learn how to recover the ability to talk with him. 
And this is why Christ, right away when He comes, starts teaching you about prayer. He'll start a parable that will be, and He told them a parable to the effect that man always ought to pray and not to faint. Okay? Faint means like not to give up, not to lose heart. Um, or when He says things like, this kind cannot come out by anything except by prayer and fasting. And yet we tell, we ask our kids in Sunday school any question, and the joke was always fast pray, read the Bible. And everybody laughs. But it's actually not funny. It is the right answer. But we think it's hilarious. Or the people who go up um, to get advice, like, okay, I'm just wondering, like, what can I do, like, other than prayer, um, that I can do to blah, blah, blah. Like, prayer was, like, this dumb idea um, where it's like, let's, let's be real, Abuna. Um, and it's like, but I actually think it's a good idea. Um, have you ever done it? Um, really, have you ever done it? Um, and do you only talk to God when you're in a good mood? Um, or do you really rather just talk to Him when life sucks? Um, which is what most of us are, are guilty of. So man had to learn how to talk to God again. And we need to understand this concept of relationship, and we can maybe draw an analogy um, with, um, with human life, right? An infant, um, when an infant is just born, his dialogue with his parents is um, one of need, right? He just needs nurturing. Um, there is no conditions, there's no limitations, there's nothing. Um, they just take, and that's what we need. We need safety and security. You all had this. Okay, all of us when we were kids, um, with very few exceptions, found prayer relatively easy as we were, when we were kids, even if it was super simple. Like an infant, when he wants to express he's hungry to his mom, will cry. He wants to go to the bathroom, he cries. When he wants to play, he cries. When he wants to get up, he cries. He just cries, right? That's all he does. And the parents are just like, okay, okay. Right? And they're up all hours of the night and they're giving him whatever it is um, that he needs and that he wants without any kind of dialogue. As the person starts to mature, it's different because you can enter relationship as your mind and your spirit begin to develop. When they're four or five, or no, not even four or five, when they're two, sorry, Habibi, you can't go to the bathroom wherever you like. Um, it's not going to work. Um, we, we, don't, we don't have strict rules. As they're, when they're teenagers, we have a dialogue, we have rules, we understand consequences, because we're not giving these at random, right? We're trying to raise somebody, there's a goal at hand. It's not just, I think these rules are sick, let's, let's apply them. Um, but there's a, a hedef, there's a, there's a reason for them. And then when a person later on develops a relationship for, for marriage, right? Or even for, for dating, which we're apparently not allowed to do, um, they talk to the parents and there's a negotiation, especially in our culture, right? Whereas, like, this is what I would like to do. But there's this dialogue. We have this with God. As we become more rational, Lord, do you accept me? And the answer is always yes. Okay? But there are also conditions on this relationship. Yes and no. It's unconditional so long as we are desiring to be in a relationship. But if we desire to be in a relationship, then you can't just do whatever you feel like. A guy cannot tell his wife, I love you a lot, sweetheart, but I'm going to text this girl all the time because I like her too, but I like you specially. <laughs> He's not going to do that. If he does, he has a problem. Um, and so we need to understand that, that there is an exclusivity in our relationship with God. This is why all throughout the Old Testament, he calls Israel... Pardon my language, but it's the language of KJV. He calls Israel a whoring nation. It's a very strong word. But he's making a point that we're supposed to be in a, in a very intimate, personal relationship and that we're supposed to respect it that way. So that's a background to understand a bit about prayer. And prayer itself is an encounter with God. It's to be in His presence and it's a conversation that is ongoing. You cannot understand prayer except in the context of relationship. Because one of the biggest problems, and it's one of the things Anthony Bloom writes in his book, um, is people who treat prayer as just an act. It's this thing that they do for a couple of minutes, and somehow that, that's, that's prayer. It's not. It's a relationship. 
It's in the context of relationship. It's an ongoing dialogue. In the same way that those of our relationships with one another, we don't consider our friendship limited to these specific moments where we meet face to face. If that's how we deal with it, then none of us will ever have any kind of, of relationship with anybody. But there's an ongoing sense of presence in the mind and in the heart. There's textings, there's phone calls, there's emails, there's random memories. There's a whole bunch of things that go on that take root in us so that we are in a constant state of communication spiritually with these other people, even if they're not physically in our presence. So prayer is an encounter with God. Um, it's a conversation and is being in the presence of God. If that consciousness is carried all the time, then we will always be in prayer. A life of prayer, however, requires a lot of work. Um, if we're not reading, if we're not fighting, if we're not bringing our minds to this constant awareness, then how do you expect to get anywhere? You will not. So, St. Theophan the, the Recluse, I like this quote of his. He says, What then is prayer? Prayer is the raising of the mind and heart to God in praise and thanksgiving to Him and in supplication for the good things that we need, both spiritual and physical. We understand that we're also physical beings. The essence of prayer is therefore the spiritual lifting of the heart towards God. The mind in the heart, okay, it's an active work of the mind entering the heart, stands consciously before the face of God, filled with due reverence and begins to pour itself out before Him. So we do need to have an understanding that the Lord desires our hearts, right? That is what He's looking for with us. Um, he's not looking for lip service. And He responds to the desire of the heart, even actually if you don't express it. Um, if you are not speaking idly in prayer, and you say words with feelings, then your words will not return to you empty. The same way that God says of His own words, the same is true of your own. So, what I'm hoping in the next, in, the, in these lectures is one, we'll go very quickly right now over what is our attitude toward prayer. Um, the next lecture will hopefully be on um, types of prayer. Okay? Then a more practical, hopefully, on developing a prayer rule um, and on how, how, to just, how to go about praying, especially those of us who maybe um, haven't done it for a while. Then challenges to prayer. Um, and then finally, maybe a, the, the life of prayer. Um, now, our attitude towards prayer, I won't spend too long um, on it. This is a huge component of Anthony Bloom. Um, and Anthony Bloom, for those of you who don't know, was a former atheist as well. Um, Anthony Bloom like despised um, Christianity, and his original encounter with it um, was all negative. And his encounter with Christ um, came actually in him is very similar to Clement of Alexandria, um, where he wanted to disprove Christianity. He was in the army, um, and they were having a guest Christian speaker, and he was like not he was refusing to go. Um, and so their commander in chief, I don't know what rank the dude was, um, was like begging with him, please just just go. We have to do it as a formality. You don't need to care about what he's saying. So he went, and he was pissed off. Um, and he was like, I want a Bible because I think what he's saying makes no sense, and I want to disprove what he's saying. So he got a Bible and started reading, um, and as he was reading, his heart was open because he was realizing that some of what he was reading was not what he was expecting. Um, and then he felt um, physically the presence of God sitting at the table with him. That's how he describes it. Um, and he was like, and at that moment, I knew that Christ was risen. <laughs> like, I knew that Christ was alive. Um, and, and it changed everything for him. So when he's talking about something like this, he's not just spewing out random words. He's talking about living experience. Um, so, first of all, we sometimes have an issue getting into the mood of, of prayer because we think it's our, our right um, and that we just are all that in a bag of chips. To some extent, Yanni, it's, it's partially true, but only because God is nice. Um, not because you are. Um, it's because he still desires this relationship with us. And so the reason for that is that many of us approach prayer actually very arrogantly, um, where we decide that we're going to give God three minutes a day, and that when I come for these three minutes, then God better be standing right here. Um, and that's why Anthony Bloom is saying, well, you wouldn't do that with other human beings, um, let alone with your God. 
And where were you for the other 23 hours and 57 minutes of the day when you are now coming to him at this moment and saying, you better be here right now? Um, so first of all, like he, he wants to emphasize that the absence of God is often our own fault um, or is unreasonable on, on our part. And we're going to talk a little about the absence of God as a, as a challenge to prayer. Um, but what he wanted us to get to is that we are in need of God. Okay, It's not because you're nice and you're entertaining God that you are going out of your sweet way to tell him nice words that he already knows. It is rather that we need him. So what he says about this is that you need to consider yourself knocking on a door. And if you're knocking on a door, where does that place you physically? Right. You're not inside. So don't deal with confidence as though you're already in there. You are on the outside. God is willing to open... Okay, but you are, you are not inside. You are on the outside. And we need to understand that. And I, I can say that I felt this because I've had periods, all of us have periods in our life where you have like a spiritual high where you're praying like mad. And then other days where like you can barely muster up an Our Father without being bored out of your mind. Um, but when I first went to the monastery to be a monk when I was a novice, when you are dead, when everything is gone, you don't have a penny to your name. You don't have a single person with whom you can speak. You don't have family. You don't have friends. You don't have anything. You suddenly recognize the deep need for Christ. Those of us who are entertaining ourselves constantly don't often come to this important realization. But what the equivalent of this is that you, can't, you don't teach a beggar how to beg. Necessity compels the beggar to beg. And if we don't recognize that we have a need for him, you're not going to be in relationship with him. You're the same as Adam in the garden with this concept of why can't I be like God? You are the one who feels complete in and of yourself and who has contempt for the relationship. So when we come to God, we need to place ourselves on the outside. We can't be false strong. Um, because this is why St. Saint, Saint Paul says when he talks to God about his weaknesses, God says to him words that seem like nonsense to normal human beings. Do you remember what, what Christ said to Paul when he prayed three times for his, the thorn in his side to be removed? He said, my grace is sufficient, and then continued with what? Right. My power, my strength, my grace is made manifest in weakness. Weakness is the kind of weakness which we show by sinning and forgetting God. But the kind of weakness which means being completely supple, as St. Anthony Bloom says, completely transparent, completely abandoned in the hands of God, we usually try to be strong, and so we prevent God from manifesting His power. Because we are trying to do the healing ourselves. It's like the dude who's coming into the pharmacy, Sorry, the pharmacist, or she was going into the doctor, who was like, "Yeah, yeah, I already know the issue. I, I already know. I already know. Just give me this." Okay, <laughs> you maybe your issue is actually deeper than that, bro, um, or maybe it's the wrong solution. Um, but okay, until you're ready to actually talk to me, then by all means, you're, you're not listening. You're just talking, um, and we're supposed to be in dialogue. Dialogue does not mean talking at God perpetually. Okay, if you did this to other human beings, like they'd really not tolerate you. Um, so we need to also understand that in our relationship with God. Don't just blabber. Okay, sometimes you need to just shut up and listen. Um, and if you do that, you will hear him. In the same way that when Elijah went out, the voice of God was not in the storm. The voice of God was not in the earthquake. The voice of God was not in any of these dramatic events which God very intentionally had happen. The voice of God came in a still, small whirlwind or breeze. Okay, It was a very quiet thing. So we need to understand that we shouldn't be false strong. We need to understand that we are beggars. We need to be coming to Him with um, humility. And the meditation that Anthony Bloom uses for this was, he says, he looks at how humility comes from a, re, uh, a Latin word which means ground, right? 
um, like it's just it's just dirt um, that people walk around on. But that same dirt that people are walking around on is serving a purpose that people take for granted. And because it thinks nothing of itself, it's able to do things. And you can grow seeds in it. There's all sorts of things you can do with it. So he says we need to become like the earth, open to the seed to come, open to the pain also that comes, open to absolutely everything. This is the attitude that we ought to have. We're knocking on the door, which means that we are on the outside and we need to sense um, our poverty. But what we need to really also look at is where are we knocking? Okay? And we said that it is internal. We talked about the mind entering into the heart. We are knocking on the inside. So long as you are essentially looking outside of yourself, you will feel like you are talking to the air. You will feel that you are talking to four walls. Because you are. But you need to look the other way. You need to be looking inwardly to the heart. This is why Christ said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. This was very confusing to the Jews, who thought that spiritual success at the coming of the Messiah was going to mean the reestablishment of the kingdom of Israel. Do we not have that same attitude? My prayer with God means that I'm going to ace my, my, my exams. My, my prayer to God means that I'm going to rock my MCATs and I'm going to get into med school. My prayer to God somehow is supposed to mean that I'm going to be filthy rich um, and that I will not have a single problem in the world. This is the prosperity gospel that all of us in some way or form seem to be subscribing to. I've heard many youth that will come and be like, I don't get it. I fasted and I prayed and I still didn't do well on the exam. Hey. Where do we start? Um, but we are all in some way doing this. But the kingdom of heaven is not, is not that. The kingdom of heaven is this communion with God that we're looking to restore. Where God dwells and reigns within you. And if He does, then you don't need to worry. Because He already told you, I already know what you need. Which of you, by taking thought, can add a cubit to his stature? Which of you, by thought, can grow an extra hair? Which of you, having a child who says that he would like some bread, would give him a stone? Why do you, not, why do you think that I would do something like that? But your Father in heaven already knows the things which you have need of. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And the kingdom is within. He's made that very, very clear. This is the dialogue of the, of, of, of the person with God. This is the state of internal prayer, which can be a permanent state if you work at it. This is the understanding that if we can come to this point, that we can understand what it means to dialogue and to be in communication with God. This is transformative. This is not something that you just have and like, oh, cool, God talks. No, it changes people. This is why 12 nobodies could change the world. The 12 apostles were really like social rejects to some extent. Like they're tax collectors, fishermen, like they were not doing really hot on the like social scene. Okay? These were not the lawyers and the docs and the farms and the Levites. Like these were the, your 7 Eleven dudes um, <laughs> and your tellers at the bank and like all of these things where we're like, yeah, okay. Right? But it's not like, oh no, he's from Yale. Um, and we like, the Ibni. Right? And God's like, no, because my strength is made manifest in weakness. Because if you don't see yourself as being all that, God is able to work. But if you see yourself as having no need of God, then you won't. And this is why the true wilderness is within you. We all think that prayer is for monks. No, it's not. The prayer is for everybody. Monks are just Christians who have a special environment where they get to be more serious. Like if you read Abuna Metta speaking about monasticism, he's like, no, a monk is just a serious Christian. That's it. It's not anything special. So we're all called to pray. And when God said that man ought always to pray, not to faint, there were no monks. 
He was talking to real human beings. And when St. Paul said, pray without ceasing, he was talking to real human beings. He was not talking to angels. He was talking to human beings. Only empty can be filled. Okay? Prayer is the constant feeling of our own spiritual poverty and infirmity. The understanding that I'm ill. My spirit is ill. The contemplation in ourselves and others and in nature of the works of the great wisdom and mercy and almighty power of God, it is the continual grateful frame of power of mind. So, prayer, at the end of this, I'm gonna, I won't dwell much longer on this right now, we also need to understand is an act of faith. This is, this is very important because it's not an easy thing to pray. That's why Anthony Bloom has another book apparently on sale over there um, called courage to pray because it isn't easy to pray prayer is an act of faith that is founded upon faith as in this life we are guided in many things by faith and hope so much more in relation to the spiritual world should we walk by faith not by sight because we can't see this is St. John of Kronstadt Um, there's a whole bunch of books I can recommend um, that I use for preparation for these things um and this faith is real because it's unseen. I remember an incident when I was... I, I always went to St. Anthony's Monastery in Egypt. Um, I consider my home. Um, and one time I was praying in the cave, just a normal layperson, not a monk, um, and doing just tamgid for St. Anthony um, and personal prayer. And then I heard a bunch of like typical like loud Egyptians outside. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll leave because they clearly want to come in. And I, I go out, and they said, um, uh, where are the rest of you guys? I think the rest of which guys? Um, and like you were, when you were praying, like there was a lot of you. I was like, no, there, there wasn't. And like, no, 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 we heard lots of people. That's the only reason we didn't go in. And, and I know that to be true because they don't have problems with personal space in Egypt. <laughs> um, so like there was there's something there. There's something mystical going on that is that we, where we can participate in. Um, when you pray, our attitude towards prayer, we need to understand that we are in the presence of God. Okay? And an encounter with God isn't always rosy. Okay? I mean, it's nice to sit there and sing, our God is an awesome God and hold hands and wave lighters. But, okay, this wasn't the reality of every encounter with God. When Peter encountered God in the ship, his response to Christ was, Get away from me. I am a sinner. And I can't be in your presence. That's not what we were expecting. Can you imagine how, um, and Anthony Bloom is this example, how the Pharisees who were coming to stone the woman caught in adultery must have felt. Imagine what the woman caught in adultery felt. She was standing there wondering if her life would be taken from her. Because she was caught in the middle of a crime. Like her scenario is the equivalent today of some dude caught red-handed murder on video, on tape, and is going to the court in a state that has a death penalty. He's standing for the judge. That's a scary moment because he knows he's guilty. He knows what the verdict is. And it's a moment of encounter that is petrifying. And that is something we can't take lightly. To not have that feeling. I'm not saying you need to be petrified of God all the time. But yeah, God's your friend, but He's your master. God is your brother, but He is your father. God is your, your mediator, and He's also your judge. And so you need to be balanced in your encounter with God. Because if we come at Him as though we're just like, Yeah, 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 praise God, I'm saved. Um, sorry. There are people that he says, I don't know you. Are you one of them? And I said, Lord, we did this and this and this and this and this and this. And they list off the five billion things that they did. And he says, I don't know you. Those are petrifying words. So we're not going to come at prayer all negatively. But at the same time, the other extreme of this overly confident presence in front of your God is not something either to be taken lightly um, or passively. So establish that you are in the presence of God. You need to have the faith that you are in His presence and there should be no doubt in your mind because the minute that there is doubt in your mind that you are in the presence of God, you will have problems praying. 
And we'll talk about that in the challenges of prayer. Um, but you need to learn to pray, as we said, by praying. Force yourself in prayer. In the beginning, it will be very difficult. Afterwards, you found you will force yourself to pray. The more easily you will actually be able to pray. This is absolutely true. Like I can actually say this from experience. But in the beginning, it is always necessary to force oneself. So our attitude towards prayer should be an understanding of our context of relationship, where we stand before God, that He desires us to be in relationship, that we were created for a relationship. Okay, but we should also remember that we have made ourselves sick through sin and that it makes it difficult for us to pray and that we are recovering our ability to pray through effort. What was once by nature is now by effort. And that when we stand before God, it is an encounter with your Lord, Master, and King. And that there should be reverence. It is an act of faith and an act of humility. We need to come to Him as the empty cup so that we can be filled um, I will leave it at that for today we'll continue tomorrow with um, types of prayer unless there are any questions, comments objections okay um, I think we are going for a walk and telling scary stories <laughs> okay, okay.